Welcome to the Return of Roots Mill Vet Podcast, your guide through the journey from military to veterans in the community. This podcast is dedicated to service members, veterans, and their families. Get ready for inspirational stories and experiences generously shared by our amazing guests. Stand by for the sound of freedom. Before we dive into today's episode, we want to remind you of two essential resources, the 988 National Hotline for Mental Health Support and the MYTT365 app available at mildevet.com. Both are valuable tools to assist you in your transition journey. Now let's get to the show. Like you were saying, internal. Um, no one's no one's more of a critic than your own self, and I feel like us high-performing alphas that join the military, self-driven, you know, want to go win every single time over and over again. I think that we really have that internal guy that just beats us, beats us up even more. And nobody else is thinking that, but we put that thought in other people's heads that, oh, you're not worthy because you were limb due for a, a fraction of your time in the Navy because you served. And even whenever you're doing the med board limb due stuff, I am pretty sure that you were still helping sailors that were around you regardless. And, and that's still serving, you know, that, wow. No, that's just, you nailed it 100% on that. What, um, when you were when you were going through, we were talking in the green room, and you said it was the what was it the longest wait you've ever had? Yeah. <laughs> Expound what created that feeling of uh, the longest wait ever. So I went through the IDES process, which is estimated to be about 180 days. You know, the first part, even before your medical board is initiated, is that initiation process where your referring doctor has to send this message saying like, hey, we're referring this sailor to the medical board. And then this part is very fast paced because they're like, you got to go to the Pebble office. You got to meet your Pebble. You got to meet the attorney. You got to meet the VA person and doing all of these things at once. And then, you know, they're like, go to all your appointments, you know, you're getting your package together. And this part goes quickly because you're being given appointments and you're given all these tasks to do. So, you know, when you're given stuff to do, things go by fast. And then my process started January 2019. And then April come, um, my last exam was March. And then all my results come back early April. And then my pebble goes, Hey, you got to come in. We're going to go over your package so we can send it off. And, you know, I'm going over everything, you know, the messages from my doctors, the messages from my, the VA part of it all, because the IDES process requires you to go through the VA portion as well. That way you get your VA ratings at the same time, but my package is being put together. You know, I get an addendum from my ortho spine specialist to attest to some of the things that occurred throughout my limited duty process. And she goes, hey, you have to confirm everything's true to your knowledge. And she's like, after this, it's going to be sent off to D.C. to the um, to the med board, the medical officers, you know, to review, to find you from here. They're going to either find you fit for full 
So you go back, you know, to serving after you get like cleared for like worldwide eligibility with the detailers and stuff like that. Or you'll be found unfit to continue naval service. And then we will continue with the med board process where, you know, you'll get a date to get out. And then, you know, then you wait to get out. And so April comes around, sign it off. It's like the first week of April. And then she's like, you'll hear from me again once they find you fit or unfit. And that was the longest wait of my life. I didn't know what was going to happen. I couldn't apply. I didn't know if I should start looking at schools. I didn't know I should start looking at jobs. They told me the whole process would be about 180 days. But I there were other people that I had met along the way that were like, no, nah, I've been doing this for over a year because I messed up my paperwork or this happened or such and such happened. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, what am I supposed to do? I feel like a sitting duck because I didn't know what to do. Then mid-June comes around. I am found unfit for naval service. And that even though it was the longest wait I ever had to finally like know like what my destiny is gonna be, for lack of a better term, um, to understand that now I can be in the mindset of I'm getting out, I'm transitioning, I need to start looking at what my next steps are gonna look like. Um, so everything's picked back up again until like now I'm waiting for the date I'm getting out. I got my getting out date on my birthday, July 18th, 2019. In message traffic, my orders come in with my date that says October 29th, 2019. And I'm like, this is the best gift the Navy could have given me is giving it on my birthday after waiting for so long. But then it slows down again because even though I'm now in the mindset of getting out now I'm filled with anxiousness and anxiety, like all this anxiety of like, what am I supposed to do now? Like, am I making the right choice? Like I said, at the time I wanted to be a medical stenographer and I, I just started going to community college to just get my mind off of things and start getting general credit for something because to even be a medical stenographer, you have to have your general eds out of the way. So I was starting to do that. And from there, that's where kind of things took off because I got connected to SVA and all those other things. But it's that waiting to find that you're unfit, waiting for your orders date that takes the longest. So that's why I felt like it was just the longest wait I was ever going to have. Yeah, you know, I uh, when I was going through my process, because I was limdu almost a year before I uh, got out, I was... I got told that I was going to be on the medical board process and I, I looked at it and I was like, you know, I could either get all my medical stuff taken care of and wait here in sunny San Diego and, and until I get out. But I just had to relocate my family after relocating them from Japan for a year and a half to relocating them to Washington state where they were without me and I was down in sunny San Diego and the whole entire wait period would have just been way too much for me. That's yeah, I, I couldn't do it. So I had the right amount of time. I was in constant communication with my detailer. They knew what was happening to me. And 
I know because I'm a senior, I was a senior enlisted, I might have a little bit more, um, like weight whenever it comes to talking to my detailer about all my stuff. When I don't have to talk to them about it, I still talk to them about it. So, I mean, communicating with the people that are going to be affecting your life is what helped me out. And I just dropped my package and literally got approved in one day through Millington, which is pretty darn fast. Anything that happens in Millington. And I was, I got my orders immediately. Um, that was, um, I had to make that decision. It was either wait or just end it. So that way I can move on with my life. So that's, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So you're, you're pretty awesome to be able to go through that and take care of all your stuff. Yeah, um, after a limb due period, I have two limb due periods for a total of a year as well. Before that med board was activated, like I mentioned before, you know, even though it was so mundane, it did buy me time to at least think about some stuff some more. That is what it did give me. It was the grace to think about things through a little bit more. Yeah. The So how did you go from wanting to be a, a radiologist, technical assistant, or a rad... Oh, my goodness. My wife is going to kill me. She's actually... A rad, <laughs> Radiologist, technologist, right? Or is it tech? Anyway, she's going to kick me in the butt next if she hears this because I, I get it. I get it mixed up. There's one that fixes don't worry. We'll one. we'll call her so she can she can hear this part of it, and we won't Sarah's let her. Notes, dude. Buckle up. <laughs> yeah. So, what got you going into the lawyer aspect? Like, and what does the educational journey look like that you have to get? What schooling do you have to have to do that job? So, wanted to be a medical, going to be a medical stenographer and everything. And then I started going into Tidewater Community College. I got my, I ended up getting my associates in social sciences because um, it got the gen ads out of the way. And then, it was when I was transferring to ODU there. Uh, I was just kind of like at the, by the time my time ended at Tidewater Community College, I knew I didn't want to do medical sonography things anymore. Um, I was just kind of like, that's not who I want to be because after having those direct conversations on what day-to-day -day life looked like, I was kind of like, well, who do I want to be? Like who was Kat before the Navy? Who was Kat you know, before my marriage and all those things, what did I like doing? I was a huge true crime junkie fan. Um, so I was like, I'm going to study criminal justice. You know, like I can handle it. I hear the stories. I read the books. I've seen the, enough documentaries. I could do this. So ODU had a dual bachelor's in sociology and criminal justice. And since I had my associates in social sciences, like that makes sense to me. And so while I'm transferring to ODU um, in 2020, I had actually been selected as a part of the inaugural edition for GI Dog Magazine for their Student Veteran Leadership Awards. And so I got interviewed at ODU as being a, a part of that inaugural edition. And they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And in my mindset of like, I, I'm going to criminal justice, I was just like, I'm going to go to a three letter agency and do the thing, you know, just like so many other criminal justice majors. Uh, I specifically said that I want to understand why people do the things that they do. And that's still true. I kind of do, but in another sense now. 
But uh, so I'm going through ODU in that process, graduate December 2021. And I told myself, I'm going to take a break because January 2022, um, I got awarded Student Veteran of the Year. But I also got um, hired as a DON civil Department of the Navy civilian uh, doing personnel security. I was a personnel security assistant, so helped with a lot of the different types of security at the at a command. And it was while I was there, I was like, you know, I'm gonna take a year off. I'm gonna take a year off. You know, I'm gonna truly immerse myself in the veteran community. I really wanted to amplify being student veteran of the year, so it was investing myself in the community. And the more I did that, the more heart to heart conversations I had. And a lot of these were heartbreaking. They were similar to my own or some had other experiences. I don't like to compare experiences, but some were severely tragic and heartbreaking that I cried for them. They may have not expressed any emotion at the time because of their traumatic experience, but it hurt me so much and it moved me in a way that this can't keep happening. But even as I was having these stories, I wasn't quite ready to say, I wanna go to law school. I ended up applying for Syracuse's Applied Data Science Program because Again, I'm a nerd. I like numbers. I like working with numbers. I was a sonar tech. I looked at squiggly lines for a living, you know, what's making graphs and looking at our, you know, some R coding some more, you know. So I get into the program. It's a really great program. Their teachers and professors are great. But in that semester, it was July of this year that I started. I wasn't happy. I was doing things and then I had some more personal things come up and I ultimately like I'm not happy anymore I can't do this I could do this but I don't want to you know I'm having this like internal crisis of you know like my heart is with advocacy because over over the since I had gotten out, I've done a lot of advocacy advocacy effort, bringing attention to people's experiences within the medical board, um, within their medical experience in of itself. Because in January 2023, I did a presentation called "The Unknown Diagnosis," where I presented my findings of doing a short sample study of women service members, those who are currently this 60 included women who are still serving and women who are veterans, about their experience with medical. Did they actually get the medical care that they needed? Were their medical concerns heard? Were they dismissed? What happened? And my room was full of women veterans and even men who came by to hear it telling me their medical experiences of this happened to me too, or they dismissed it because, you know, they told me I should just do X, Y, and Z, or it's all in my head, you know? And these are at the back of my mind throughout my first semester in the ADS program. And I talked to a good friend of mine. He actually was in my Leadership Institute cohort back in 2020. He went to law school. And I'm having a heart to heart. And I'm just like, hey, man, like, what can I do? And he's like, you're already doing a lot. Like, what do you mean? Like, I was like, what more can I do? What's going to be more impactful? You know, I was just like, I just got the governor appointee position. Like, I can make it more of a difference in Virginia. But I was like, I really want to do more widespread things. I want to help veterans as a whole in the medical side because of my experience, because of the experience of others. And he's like, you know, like you could do a variety of things. You could go to med school. And I was like, I don't know about all that. Blood makes me queasy. But <laughs> he goes, have you ever considered going to law school? And I said, no. 
I'm not smart enough is what I said. And he's like, are you sure? He's like, you recite so many instructions, policies, procedures. You've talked to senators, state legislators, delegates, um, members of like city council about a variety of issues, things that people haven't heard of in years. And you don't think you're smart enough. And I was just like, well, no, because I really care about it. And he's like, law school is going to suck because you have to look at a lot of things you don't want to. But you are smart enough. And even with your TBI, you can request accommodations just like you did in undergrad. And I was just like, you know what, you're right. And I talked to the person I had worked with at Virginia Commonwealth University while I was going through uh, for three years. And I go, hey, can I talk to you? I need some advice. Her name is Jan. And I tell Jan, I was like, I think I want to study for the LSAT. I think I want to go to law school. And she was through the moon. She was excited. She's like, I was waiting for the day that you would change your mind and talk to me about this part of your life because she's, this is what you're known for. You're known for advocacy. When people think of Catherine Martinez, they think of an advocate. And she's like, I'm so glad that you see it in yourself to take that leap forward. So what I'm doing now is for the past couple of months, since September, I've been studying for the LSAT exam. I'll be taking my first one early January, 2024. And from there, you know, if I don't like the score, it's on a scale to 180. Uh, I will either retake it, retake it, um, but then wait for the cycle. My dream school is to go to Georgetown's executive law school program. And from there, spend the next couple of years studying pretty intensely in the evenings because that's what the executive program is for. But um, after that, uh, well, throughout that process, hope to continue being an advocate by participating with other veteran service organizations that provide opportunities for veterans to advocate for things, um, but mainly want to go into the medical law side of the house and really dissect that even more and uh, looking into military law as well. So that is fascinating. So everything that you have spoken about, right? And that I've seen part of your journey is you take the problem and it's how do I fix it? And let me be that person to fix it. And then you move, keep on moving the goal line to help yourself grow and allow yourself to be more of a bigger impact. Um, it's fascinating to see and hear <clears throat> that you want to advocate for the junior sailor, especially as a lawyer for the IDES program, because it is absolutely difficult even for me i'm currently still going through the ides program and um there's been multiple times that i've have had to fight because there's so many um everybody you're 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 almost just a number and they're just like you push the paperwork through move forward let's let's get let's get the, the process moving and I understand that they do this consistently um, and, and you're part of their process, but at the end of the day, you're still a human being. You still need help. And if you don't know, it, it's, it's easy to um, keep someone and pushing them forward because they don't know what they don't know, right? And they don't know who to ask and the process is so difficult. Yes, it's improved with the IDES compared to what it was before. However, it's still very, very 
I, I don't want to say secretive, but that's the way it feels. It feels like, where, where do you get this information? There's so many layers in so many different places that there's no absolute specific way. Hey, here's the program. This is how it runs. Here's the book. Move forward. And then at that point, if you know what you don't know, that's up to you, right? Like any other instruction that we've had. Whereas with the MedBoard itself, it's not just one instruction. There's thousands of instructions that govern that process as long as, as well as like you mentioned before, you still have the chain of command that you have to deal with. You still have other things that you have to deal with, including your personal life and how you're growing. And a lot of the times you don't even know what you're waiting for. You're just waiting and you're praying for the next to figure out what the next step is going to be in your life. And so I say all that because I honestly commend you for everything that you're doing um, and for being a servant leader, right? Um, and continuing and helping and trying to help us out as we move forward. It's very heartwarming um, to see your journey, to see what you're doing. And I see nothing but great things in the future for you. And I want to be one of your cheerleaders there on the side, just being like, woo, you did it. Once you pass your LSAT, I'm going to be there like, woo. I'll even, I'll even get some pom-poms and everything. <laughs> you're going to be out there with some maracas, man. Who are you kidding? Yeah, yeah. You're right. You're Yogi's, right. Yogi's got a lot of practice doing this. No, so. no, no. <laughs> Uh, no, but I double down on Yogi. Uh, I'll be one of your cheerleaders too. So here we go, Yogi, me and you. <laughs> <laughs> so can you talk to uh, our audience a little bit about what exactly and why? Uh, so you talked about why you want to be the lawyer, right? But what kind of role does the lawyer, does the IDES lawyer play into? A service member's life as they're going through the through the process why is that important so i'll be honest a lawyer does not a lot directly with the service member while they're in there they mainly are there for the appeals part say your findings come back and you're like i disagree that's where you get the opportunity to speak more with a lawyer otherwise it's more in the hands of your peblo but a lawyer is so important because you know for myself because when you look at the medical board process. And it, it's not just the medical part. There's the PEB portion, which looks at you as a person. Are you a good sailor? You know, can you do your job in the Navy as what you enlisted to do or swore in to do? They go, can Petty Officer Second Class Martinez still be a sec uh, sonar technician in the fleet? Or can she be a reassigned to do something else? Or is it that she's completely unfit to continue service? You know? That also exists outside the medical part, but a lawyer really helps to appeal the decision to be like, no, this person wants to stay in because in the PEB portion, they ask you outright, do you want to stay in still? That is probably the only voice a service member gets in their package besides writing a personal statement, which if you're listening to this and you're going through a medical board process, please write the personal statement. This is your opportunity to be heard and have a voice in it because otherwise it's just doctors and those in charge of you who are speaking on your behalf 
And, you know, you get one sentence saying, yes, I want to get out or no, I want to get I want to stay in and which you have to answer. And then the optional personal statement. And, you know, say your findings come back and say you really want to stay in or like argue and contest. Maybe they on the opposite side of the coin, you're found fit for full service, but you have a condition that actually may warrant separation or impacts your life to the severity of you can't function and want to, you know, go against that decision. And that's where the lawyer will go into and be like, hey, did you get an addendum from this doctor? You know, this is your referring doctor, but nothing in your packages from this doctor that you said you saw. We need to get a statement from this doctor. That way they can amplify and reinforce what you're saying. We're going to ask people in your family to submit a statement on your behalf, talking about how your condition impairs your everyday life. So it, they really come into play more so if you're kind of like going against the decision that has been made, whether it's fit for full or unfit for service, or even the findings once they return overall, whether you're going to argue your findings as they come back at the very end of what your ratings are um, on the DOD side of the house or the VA side of the house. I know uh, a lot of people think that those lawyers aren't available to them before they even go into the board process, but you could actually go talk to those lawyers, even if you're a limb due. And I know I attended, um, because I was so close to my window, I was like, you know, I'm going to go attend the uh, class that they have with where the Peblos talk and they, it's like a whole entire, it's a medical transition class that you're required to attend before going on med board. And there was so much information that was in there. And that's where I learned that anybody has the right to go talk to those lawyers if they're in a situation like that. And they'll shut the door. You'll sign an agreement with them that they are your lawyer. And they'll actually give you advice. Mine was trying to get me to stay in and do the med board process. Yes, I know. I went against what my lawyer recommended me to do um, because I took it from my family's approach. What was more important to me than uh, me getting all my medical stuff evaluated correctly or being home for my family? I I said, hey, you know, th I know they're going to kick me out, but at least this way I can control the date. And I could also see my family. So um, I learned right then and there, talk to those lawyers. And like you said, a lot of people don't even know about them. They don't even, they don't even go talk to them. And they're in there. There's a bunch of advocates that are in there. Um, I know I could speak to the San Diego area over at Balboa that those lawyers over there are phenomenal. They will listen to you. Please use them. Um, yeah. I've heard a lot of yeah. great things about Balboa. Unfortunately, it's not consistent across the country at different um, medical centers yeah. and hope that it continues to improve because that is part of the problem is education. That class you talked about uh, was a very brief conversation of talking to my Peblo of you either can do the IDES, which is 180 days or the shortened one, which I don't recommend you doing, but it's there. If you know you already have a job and you want to get out faster, then I would probably consider you do that. But otherwise, just stick with the long one. So that that's the briefing I got. It wasn't a full class, but um, that's 
that is very important to like say too is ensuring that like hey if they're ask about a class maybe there is one and they just don't advertise it because it's optional maybe it's not mandatory at the hospital that you're being seen at but it is available to you but uh, i really want to stress that even though that attorneys aren't necessarily a part of your process until necessary components they are available to you at any time outside of those things where you don't have to but you can willfully go in there and have conversations about how you're feeling about your medical board because a part of it too is that you might be bound with a condition that could warrant administrative discharge or admin being admin separated which is a whole other part of the med board that people don't talk about and people get separated for all the time is a medical condition that is not under med board, but admin separation. Can you elaborate, elaborate a little bit more on what you just said about medical conditions that are that can be admin separated? Yeah, so a good friend of mine actually was had a condition where he went through the entire medical board, but his DOD percentage came back to 0%. And he's like, that doesn't make any sense you know, like I have these conditions and they're like, we're not negating that you have these conditions, but these conditions make you disqualified because if you had this condition, even trying to join the Navy, you would have been told, no, you can't join and you can't have this condition while serving. And there's actually a list of conditions that would deem you um, like disqualified from service. If you like Google it up, there's a few mental health conditions and a few like chronic conditions that are on this list that like, you know, you go through a medical board and you're found with it or you have it, they might push you out administratively, which I want to emphasize at this point, that does not mean you will not get an honorable discharge, but it is a devastating thing to hear because that's not what you're expecting out after waiting six plus months that this is a possibility, which is where an attorney can, again, assist in this process, or you just take what they said, and you're like, I'm just getting out because I'm over this process, which I've seen a variety of people do as well. So that's fascinating to hear. I <clears throat> This is the first time I hear that part. Uh, and I now I'm very curious. I'm literally on asking Dr. Google what that is because i'm very um curious to know about that um because i didn't know that was a possibility you know what i mean um yes yeah it's crazy yogi man every once in a while somebody's bombed huge nuggets of that's a hard hitter man that caught me off guard too it's just like whoa here comes the awkward silence it's <laughs> It's really important to know, and it's really scary, you know, but I will have you know, my friend that that did happen to had a happy ending. He got a six figure job with Meta. So, you know, he's doing pretty great for himself right now. Uh, but that is something that, again, it took personal experience and talking to friends and other people that helped me grasp what could happen. What are the alternative means of what happens? You know, and, you know, some people even appeal their decisions after that, too, like similar to upgrading uh, upgrading your discharge you know appealing for that decision you can also appeal decisions that were made on behalf of your medical board as well and i have seen percentages upgraded as well uh, what is it it's better to get a zero percent than nothing at all right that's on the va side of the house 
Mm. Um, on the DOD side, if you get 10 or 20%, it warrants medical separation. If you get 30% or above, that warrants medical retirement. And depending on what percentage you get above 30% is the percentage of base pay you will receive until your VA benefits kick in if you're not at retirement, like your traditional retirement age, 20 years plus around that time. So it's these DOD side of the house percentage of your med board are very important. Like I said, if you get zero DOD, that's the concerning part because that's when normally they'll be like, hey, you're probably gonna get admin discharge, you know, or they might be like, actually throughout your whole med board, even though we said you were unfit first at the conclusion actually found you fit. So you're, we're actually gonna make you worldwide deployable again. <laughs> so, and it's, it is one of those things that first, when I went through, or when I started this board, right? Um, one of the advice from, we'll keep titles and conditions and everything for anonymity. Um, but they were like, hey, you know, Chief, just just retire, drop your papers. You don't have to worry about any of this. Just deal with it on the outside. Deal with it when uh, when on your VA, because you know you're past twenty. And I'm like, but I need to know what I what's wrong with me. Like, I I, I can't just cool by, you know. And uh, so that was part of that. And then afterwards, the learning through the process thank thankfully for i guess asking questions right i was able to uh stay longer and ask more questions and to the extent that the lawyer he was very frustrated especially with with senior or people that that, that are at their 20s right they're like you guys just choose to get out I don't even know why I'm wasting my time because the process, what you need to do, you need to stay in, finish your process, do it the right way and get your benefits and everything that you need. But most of you, you got to drop your papers and just get out because it's such a pain in the butt. And I was like, it can't be that bad. There's no process in the military that I've gone through that can be really this bad. You know what I mean? uh and yet you know talking to you um and to other people it's fascinating to see one the disparity of the information that is out there for these programs right the IDES program what it's supposed to be how it's supposed to be operated and everything and the amount of information that it's supposed to flow the amount of uh not only information but guidance that your pebble is supposed to be doing uh and the amount of information and guidance that your providers and your lawyer are supposed to be giving you is just so much. And for someone that is literally fighting for their life, you're, you're in a fight or flight mode, mostly during this entire um, process, you don't have time or energy to really understand what each one of those wickets are. Right, you you need someone to hold your hand and be like, "Hey, Timmy, this is this, this is this, and this is this, and this is why." Right, um, and it, it's just if I could redo this whole process, right, I would have this class that it's 
mandatory here for everybody as soon as they're going on their on, on their limb do right um to allow them that that pers that perspective of what what they can and cannot do right but also i know we're un undermanned but provide more pebbles and more lawyers the poor lawyer that i have oh my god he is amazing um but that guy was completely completely overworked right every day or every monday he would tell me he's like hey i'm gonna get a new batch of about 10 people today because every monday they taught that class and that's how that class went and he was one of four and they would all get about the same amount of people so i can see that and again catherine i cannot say i cannot commend you enough for trying to go down that route and trying to help in that way because that's huge yeah like the biggest part is you don't know what you don't know but similar to what you're saying a lot of people just want to get out as soon as they can because that's yes. that is the easiest thing to do because you know i did the same thing i didn't know a lot but i was just kind of like i did go through Ida's, but I didn't know I could ask questions. I didn't know that I had the right to a second opinion. I didn't know I could be like, hey, I never got this, but was told it's the standard after a head injury to have these exams done. I didn't know these things. And, you know, you've probably heard before at one point in your life, you break it, you bought it, you know, same here with the military, they broke it, you know, they bought it. And so you have the right to ask questions. You have the right to say, hey, this is going on. Is this normal? Or like, hey, I have this medication and it's making me feel this way. Is that normal? Is this fine? Or you told me to take this with this, but it makes me feel this way. Can I try something else? Or it makes me feel, you know, this way. I don't want, I don't like that. It's okay to say no to certain conditions, certain treatment plans and medications if it's not working for you. You know, and I've had people say, be, say outright they were afraid to say no to surgery and then they get a botched surgery and then they're stuck with that, with long lasting life changing like impact, you know. And so just having more information is so important. And with the mentality of you break it, you bought it like for at, most people get out of the military young anyways, whether you're in your like 40s and 50s, that's still relatively young. But you getting the care that you deserve and having the information you need to continue getting the care you need afterwards is so important because if you go if you get out like i did not knowing what your condition really was and starting to get treatment be like i had no idea this was an option for me i probably could have done this while still being in the navy you know so uh I happily tell people all the time, I still have sailors that I speak to frequently or a, from a variety of branches that goes, can I get advice with this? Can you tell me about this? Can you tell me like what my options are? If my met, my doctor's telling me this or, you know, my findings came back and it said this, what are my options here? Uh, I, I will gladly hold your hand. I wish somebody held my hand. So I will all gladly reach back and give you mine that way i can pull you back up up here where you deserve to be so uh, it's so important to just have that mentality of like building community and bringing knowledge that others don't have so i really hope that 
and appreciate that this podcast exists to get some information out there that they might not be able to hear otherwise. How did you uh, get involved with the Travis Menon program? So that's also because of my first NatCon with Student Veterans of America. Uh, so like I said, there's a lot of organizations, federal agencies, things like that. Corner of my eye, I see this giant Spartan head. And I was like, what is the Spartan race doing here? That That's where my mind went to. It, I walked up and it was not the Spartan race. It was the Travis Manion Foundation. And the people who were there told me about what they do. Their mission is to empower veterans and families of fallen heroes to teach youth about character. You know, and I was like, that sounds really cool. Like, cause like I said, I'm really into this vibe of mentorship. Love my mentors while I was serving. Love the mentors I started to gain afterwards. And I was like, I want to help other kids. I'm a first gen American, first gen college student, uh, first gen college grad, but also an English second language or learner. Spanish is my first language. So I grew up with a lot of difficulties in life that I wish a mentor would have helped me when I was younger to navigate some of these challenges that my parents could not because they didn't understand. Um, but what I walked away from that conversation, that table at NACON is they're like, our motto is if not me, then who? And I was like, I love that. I feel like that's what I've been doing my whole life. If I don't do it, who's gonna do it? And so became a Character Does Matter mentor, February, 2020, took the training and for three years was a very active volunteer, even got to design this really cool project. I'm sorry, this is gonna be really long, if that's okay, but it's my first Operation Legacy Service project. I got the thumbs up, so I'm good. Um, an Operation Legacy project is one in honor of a fallen hero. It can be anybody. You know, it can be someone you serve with, someone you know in your family, even a service dog, you know, a fallen hero. Um, while I was going through my divorce and everything like that, January um, 2021, I saw this story. Army veteran found in a trash can at an Army installation in Hawaii. That was the headline. And I'm shocked. I'm like, how does that happen? How is an Army veteran found like, like that on base? And I click the story, and I'm reading it. Uh, her name was Selena Roth. She served for a few years. Um, she was found in a trash can on base. And she was only found because her family had actually called in a wellness check because otherwise the trash was scheduled to be taken out that day. They would have just taken the trash out. You know, her body may have never been found had they not called for a wellness check and they looked around. And so that was shocking to me. She was a huge advocate um, for MST survivors of MST, you know, um, she brought attention to a variety of issues that women service members faced while she was living. So she did a lot for the community herself. And so I was just kind of in shock. And as the story developed, uh, the accused would be her, then she was going through the process of leaving her husband and everything like that. So it was a domestic violence situation, another active duty soldier that was her spouse um, and I just, the story really hit me because of, um, what it was and I wanted to do something. I didn't want her to be forgotten. And so I reached out, I was still a volunteer at the time. I was not hired by TMF yet. I say, Hey, can I do a, 
you can fill out a form to submit for an operation legacy project. And I'm writing like an essay about this. And the staff member at the time, uh, her name is Charlene. She's still with TMF. She's amazing and wonderful. And she goes, I think this is a great idea. What kind of project do you want to do? And I was like, oh, man, that's a great question. I just knew I wanted to do it on, in her memory, but I didn't know what I wanted to be about. And like I mentioned, um, she was a huge advocate for survivors of sexual assault and those who live with military sexual trauma. And so I was just like, I want to, I found an organization. I was stationed in Southeastern Virginia. There is an organization called Samaritan House in Virginia Beach. They offer support systems, support services for victims of sexual assault, domestic violence, stalking and human trafficking from legal services to emergency housing, to food, to clothing for not only them, for a man or a woman, but also children that are escaping these circumstances. And they accept donations. So I was like, hey, she really advocated for this. So I want to make a supply drive to benefit this organization. She's like, that's a great idea. That's that's doable. And I was like, awesome. She's like, so when do you want to do it? And I'm thinking very hard. I want to be as intentional as possible because I really wanted to honor her life and legacy. And so I picked April because that is when the DOD um, has Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month. So again, connecting back to her story and who she was. And uh, we're coming out of COVID at this time. People are re-entering the world. So I had supply boxes. Uh, one of my favorite coffee brands is Pale Horse Coffee. They're a veteran-owned coffee brand. Um, they allowed me to have a box there with uh, Selena Ross' picture, her story, and why we're collecting supplies is who it's going to benefit. And I was so grateful that they let me put the box there because I had so much support. People were dropping off food, clothing, household items, and I had made an Amazon wish list as well. And I there was a there is a Facebook group for women service members, women veterans. Um, it is now known as Sisters in Service, but I shared it on there. It's a group, and I was like, "Hey, this is my project. I'm dedicating it to Selena Roth." Who, was, who had unfortunately had her life taken, because at the time, like legally, you couldn't say she was murdered. You couldn't say that her husband killed her. You couldn't say all these things because he was still being investigated and needed to, we needed to let the legal process play through. And so I make this post on Facebook. You know, I'm not sure what the response is gonna be, but it gets an, like a tremendous response. But then I get a Facebook message Normally you don't like, you know, don't, don't talk to strangers, you know, like if you're not connected or don't have, have any idea who they are, you probably shouldn't talk to them because it was in my message request. Facebook had even filtered the message to not even put it in my main inbox, but a separate one. And I look at it and she goes, Hey, I saw your post in this group. I am Selena's sister. Can I talk to you? And that took me aback. I was just like, Oh my gosh. Like I didn't know, like, her family or anything like that. So I immediately responded. I was like, yes, I would love to talk to you. She's like, I want to know more about your project and how I can help. I'm in Chesapeake, Virginia. I was also in Chesapeake, Virginia. So the world is so small that it allowed this to happen. And so we're talking and she shares it with her family. Uh, a Navy justice page had also, an army justice page, sorry, had also shared like our project, this project. And so, you know, I had submitted back in February and it's leading up to the months of like April, uh, April and the project itself. And so um, 
we're getting closer to the day we're going to do sorting because we had the month-long campaign in April to collect supplies, but to be intentional and not make it a hassle for the benefiting organization, we wanted to make sure we sorted through the items so they weren't getting expired food, they weren't getting old ripped clothes, um, or like items they couldn't use. So we, the day comes to sort through all these things to take account, like log everything. That way we can make the delivery and it's easy for this organization to take from. A few days before that day comes, I get another email and it's Selena's sister again. And she was like, hey, I wanna let you know, my mom is gonna fly from out of state to come to this project. It makes me emotional now. Um, to take take your time. Take your time. It's, it's no rush. Take your time. You really don't understand how your work is gonna help someone or do anything. I just, you know, did it because her story hit me. I never expected this to reach her family. Her sister let her alone, like her mom. I'm sure her sister told her mom like about the project once she found out about it because she had shared it with friends and on her social media. I didn't expect that her mom would fly from out of state to come to the sorting. And so for an Operation Legacy, typically how the run of show goes is you think you check everyone in, you like thank everyone for coming, but you have a moment to talk about why you're there. So I was fully prepared to talk about um, her Selena's story, like her, like um, how she was when she was alive, a character strength that she um, exemplified, which was love, and how she was tragically taken. And having an honest conversation about domestic violence, we had a, a lot of young girls there. So I had an honest conversation about the healthy dynamics of a relationship, you know, but uh, knowing her mom came, uh, we get, I let her mom and her sister talk about how she was when she was living and what this project was going to mean to her family. And her family stated how much this project has been a sense of healing, how many people have come together to share similar stories. And um, they wanted to carry, We they attested to her character and how she was as a person, how they wanted to carry on her legacy. And so we're sorting and everything keeps going. And by the end of the project, her mom goes, I wanna help other people. And to this day, her family still shares stories of service members who have been killed and try to bring attention to their stories, similar to the fate of Selena Roth. Um, but that's a memory I championed through the Travis Manion Foundation because they gave me the tools I needed to be successful. They empowered me to carry on the project, even though there was a lot of legal things to be wary of. I will say like months after the project had concluded, um, the person who killed her was found guilty in a court of law and in court martial. He was stripped of his rank, you know, and now he's in prison and dishonorably discharged. But um, really wanted to share that story because that's what really 
kept me with Travis Manning Foundation. And then when the opportunity came to join his staff, I applied, even though I was in a federal role, I was like, I want to help other veterans and families of fallen heroes experience what I have in giving back to the community because if not me, then who? I absolutely love that. Thank you for sharing that story too. You're, you're a good company here. So um, that's, that's just crazy, the lives that you can touch. You never, you never know what your actions can, um, what your actions are doing for others, who it's touching. And thank you for sharing that. Um, what, what is, what's got you excited in today's, uh, your journey? What, what's got you going on? What's next for you? What should we be looking out for? Okay. Mm, I promise I'll keep everyone updated with how my LSAT goes. And then just hopefully everyone sends good vibes. That I get into Georgetown uh, when that cycle comes around. But um, what keeps me very excited lately. <laughs> um, Sally, what? your phone's getting excited over there. <laughs> uh, my dad called me. Sorry, guys. Yeah, okay. Um, SVA's national convention is coming up. NACON um, 2024 is just ahead of us in Jan the first week of January. It'll be in Nashville, Tennessee. I will be there. I'm really excited to support everyone that's there. It will be a great time. Lots of breakout sessions, keynote sessions. Um, but that's where I'll be next in person. Otherwise, you can find me running around Northern Virginia, DC area, because that's where I live. Um, but uh, that that's mainly what I'm really excited right now is NatCon. In March 2024, I'll have really exciting news, but I'm not allowed to share it yet. But just look out for March 2024. It is a huge milestone in my career that I'm very excited to share uh, to give you a, a hint uh, it does deal with assistive technology. So I'm very excited about that. I am excited too, because I have a TVI and I want assistive things to help me with that stuff too. Um, but that's honestly, seriously, thank you for everything that you're doing. Um, I, I, I don't know, I've already said it a thousand times and I'll say it even more uh, because I, everything that you you're doing and you have done even while you were still in the service right while you were still in you were very active with the suicide um team with the also the multicultural committee and posts that you have done right um so thank you and thank you for continuing to help as you're going through and as we already mentioned you're going to be part of our you know we're going to be your cheerleaders on the side every time and if there's anything that we can do to help with your projects, we would love to. Thank you again so much to all of you for allowing me the opportunity to be here and have an open and direct conversation about my story, but also dissect and go more into depth on what the medical board process has looked like for myself and how it could look like for others. 
So I just truly appreciate the opportunity to have this platform to share more information with others because I truly believe uh, the more knowledge we have, the better off we'll be. And there's no reason to gatekeep anything. You know, I already went through the med board process. This information just lives rent free in my head. So I'll gladly give it to somebody else's and just hope that it helps at least one person. If I, I say to myself all the time, if I help at least one person, I lived a life worth living. So before we go into the save rounds, does anybody have any save, or save rounds and alibis? Anyone? Kat, do you have anything else you want to put out? Say hi. Uh, please share your things because even though everyone here said they'll be my cheerleader, I will also be one of your biggest fans in the room. So even if you feel nobody cares about this, I care. I am proud of you. I love you. I think you can do this. So please share the things that you're doing. You can even tag me in the comments or like send it to me directly. I am rooting for you through and through, no matter how long your journey takes. I'll even root for you on the days that you feel like, hey, I'm not feeling so great. I will be, I will sit with you in the dark because I know what it's like to be there, but I promise I'll hold your hand until we walk forward and you know you get to embrace and shine in your own light hey everybody kat's got a awesome story to tell she went through the med board process she served honorably with four years plus as a sonar tech she got out she didn't just take care of herself but she took care of her community and everybody around her so it's really awesome to hear from her uh you'll see that her linkedin get linked in with uh Catherine martinez she is part of the tribe thank you so much for coming on it was awesome to hang out with you to the listeners that are out there i want you to listen up it is your transition it's not all rainbows and unicorns out there ladies ladies and gentlemen it's your transition take charge of it, build a vet, 